Okay, um, I've got uh, a guest. I'm honored to have Grant Smith, the Director of Research for the Institute for Research Middle Eastern Policy. And uh, Grant, welcome to the Jim Greenfield Show. Thank you, Jim. It's a great uh, honor to be here today. Yes, it is. Um, now, uh, you, uh, you, your group has put out a book which uh, I had the pleasure of reading last night called uh, Neocon Mideast Policy, The Clean Break Plan. Right. And it basically, clean, clean Break Plan Damage Assessment is the full title. Okay, right. <laughs> clean Break Plan Damage Assessment. Right. Uh, and basically, it seems to be a response and critique of a plan that was uh, put out by uh, so-called neoconservatives, although I, I still haven't figured out what a neocon is. You haven't uh, figured out the, what a neocon is. I hear the term used all the time. I've never heard okay. anybody define it or explain what the difference is between a neocon and, let's say, a regular con, sure, uh, sure. a con artist or a conservative. But um, well, anyway, it's, it's I think it's productive to use a label because if we've got a group that self-identifies as neoconservative that's out there publishing a hundred books through the American Enterprise Institute on neoconservatism and holding about ten events per year. Um, I think we better take them seriously because they think they exist. <laughs> well, you know, I've never heard the term used in a flattering sense. However, from everything that everybody said about it, I have come to the conclusion that whatever a neocon is, I'm not one. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, but in any event, uh, this book seems to be largely a, a response to or critique of this uh, Neocon Clean Break Plan, which was uh, apparently published in 1996. Correct. Which is a, um, an approach to the, uh, the Mideast uh, conflict, the, uh, the um, Israel-Palestinian uh, conflict, whatever you want to call it. Um, and um, I'm kind of wondering... That was written nine, uh, nine years ago. I was wondering why you guys are responding to it now. It seems like I, I read through it, and it sure. seems that a lot of what was in there is actually obsolete now. Well, it's not obsolete. I think it's important to realize that the clean break policies, number one, were authored by a number of individuals who are extremely influential in shaping U.S. policy, but they wrote it for the Israeli government. Yeah, Richard and Pearl two, and others. A fair number of the policies that they recommended have now been implemented, or in the case of Syria, appear to be uh, on the front burner. So uh, this book was derived from a conference we held on Capitol Hill in November of 2003. Most of the content was presented then. Uh, so this is actually content that was developed uh, two years ago, uh, kind of in, in the the heat of the uh, Iraq uh, um, uh, debacle so that we could begin examining some of the underpinnings and authorship of the invasion. Well, I, I guess uh, the, the reason I, I say that I, I find a lot of it obsolete is because it seems to me that uh, as a result of the overthrow of Saddam Hussein, mm -hmm. uh, the, the death of Arafat the, and the expulsion of, of Syria from Lebanon, which, which has occurred this year, um, which, is, which are some of the issues that are dealt with in there, it seems like well, a lot of it, you know, really is is kind of not really uh, uh, not really relevant anymore. Well, so. it's it's interesting because um, many people are still referring to this document um, currently. There was, in fact, a Boston Globe article that just came out, which made uh, reference to the facts. Uh, let me let me quote from it. It was titled "U.S. Limits Contact with Syrian Leader." 
and it uh, quotes, but it misinterprets the, the Clean Break Plan. It says, other top Bush advisors have taken a similar stance in a 1996 policy paper, Douglas Fife, who became Bush's Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, Richard Pearl, and David Worms are an aide to Vice President Dick Cheney, urged the Israeli government to strike Syria. Now, now Pearl is, Pearl is gone. Pearl's not, Pearl's not in the government anymore. What about the other two? Okay, well, it mentions this. Uh, David Wormser is the top Middle East analyst in the Vice President Dick Cheney's uh, policy uh, staff uh, in the White House. And Douglas Fife was only recently uh, mysteriously renounced and, and announced that he was retiring for reasons he had to become public. But the document uh, talks about how, how this document shaping Syrian policy Okay, we got to take a quick, we gotta take a quick break here. My uh, guest is uh, Grant Smith, the uh, Director of Research for the Institute for Research Middle Eastern Policy. Critique of neocon policy, which is guiding a lot of American policy in the Mideast. This is Jim Greenfield. This is Jim Greenfield. If you'd like to be on the Jim Greenfield Show, the number is 877-528-8255. With my guest, Grant Smith, Director of Research at the Institute for Research Middle Eastern Policy. Again, that phone number, toll-free, uh, 877-528-TALK. Uh, Grant, I found, uh, you know, I'm not an expert in this area. I don't pretend mm -hmm. to be. Uh, I'm sure. a layman. But I found myself actually agreeing with some of what the, uh, the quote-unquote neocons said in the, in the Clean Break Plan, which I only read in your book, okay. and disagreeing with some of it. And I found myself agreeing with some of what you guys say and disagreeing with some of it, not to be, not to be moderate, sure. uh, but... Um, uh, to make for very good radio. Yeah, you know, I you know, I, yeah, I prefer to be more controversial, but I found sure. myself being kind of you know middle of the road in this thing. But, but um, uh, what what would you say is the essence of what the clean break plan is all about, and and why is your group so critical of it? Well, the essence of the plan we think is to reject, as it states clearly, land for peace, and to impose unilateral peace through strength, that's a quote from the document, on the region, and, and this at a time when the region has shown as never before uh, not only uh, a willingness to recognize the state, but also uh, engage in prosperity and peace uh, as long as some certain uh, recommendations are met by its neighboring countries. So, um, you know, the, the strength through strength or peace through strength uh, initiative in the document we find troubling. We find it troubling that the authors of the document uh, wrote it for a foreign government yet are in a position to implement it through the U.S. government. Uh, we're, we're very disturbed about the fundamental precepts of neoconservatism, which going back to uh, many of the students of it, relies upon what's known as the noble lie, or the idea that you can't always steer the population to support a certain political objective, so you've got to basically uh, fool them into doing what's right. Is, uh, is your group, would you say that your group is pro-Palestinian? Pro I wouldn't say we're pro-Palestinian. I would say that we're definitely for uh, having a peaceful settlement and engaging all players uh, at the negotiating table. And let me just back up and finish something that I didn't get to before we went to break. The reason the clean break is still relevant, as quoted in the Boston Globe, is uh, precisely some of the uh, goals that are coming up right now. In the document, it states very clearly 
that uh, Syria should be struck by, quote, Israeli proxy forces. And when Americans read that kind of thing uh, and look at the actual policy paper themselves, which we think every American should do, uh, they begin to ask some very productive questions, such as, uh, is the U.S. going to be a proxy force? Is that our role? What, what the heck is going on in the region? Well, I, um, I, didn't, I didn't read it to be an advocate... An, as, as be to be advocating U.S. military attack on Syria, but let me let me ask you about a couple of quotes that you have in here. Uh, sure. On page twelve, it says the the clean break strategy, though, is also based on the foundation that it is possible to secure more land and resources in a very uh -huh. finite area, that uh -huh. being the West Bank and Gaza Strip. In other words, for Israel, to secure more right. land and resources for for Israel, and it, and it goes on to say what this really means on the ground. Uh -huh is that Palestinians will lose more and more land, more and more olive trees, more and more homes, more and more uh, water. Now, right. I, I, didn't, I don't remember seeing that in the, uh, in the Clean Break report. Can you tell me where it says that? Well, this is really uh, talking about some on-the-ground observations that Adam Shapiro, who's a Ph.D. candidate for uh, Middle East Studies and has spent years in the region, as an activist, noticed as uh, he's seen encroachment and additional settlements in the region. But peace for peace is land for peace. And uh, peace through strength is really all about solidifying uh, some of the territory that was captured in 1967 uh, and forgetting about land for peace. Well, so that, that, he's that really may reflecting be, upon I'm, I'm that. Just you know, I, I don't know if if that is uh, kind of an ulterior agenda uh, that the neo the neoconservatives have. I don't see it in that report. If if they do believe that, I certainly didn't see it stated. Now, okay, well, it, it does talk about peace for peace, which yeah. again is rejecting land for peace. So this document, by stating that, and and then the subsequent machinations is all about rejecting land for peace. It's very by clear. implication you're saying. Yes. Okay. I mean, that's, in other that's words, in other words, if they reject land, we land won't for engage peace, in land for peace negotiations, and then the rest of it is peace through strength and balance of power. So um, th this document, uh, the the very fundamental of the document is rejection of any sort of settlement by exchanging territories, and this is coming at a time when the Beirut Declaration of the Arab League says, we will recognize your country, we will be at peace, we will trade with you, all you have to do is return to pre-67 borders and let East Jerusalem be a capital of a new Palestinian uh, okay. state. So you're, you're saying that, in, in, although they don't explicitly say that Israel should expand additionally into the occupied territories, uh, you're saying that, that the implication of, of, of rejecting the land for peace doctrine is, hey, we're not giving the land up, and therefore you extrapolate from that that they intend to consolidate control of the occupied land. Which is uh, based through strength. It's, we need to be well, strong, okay. yeah. uh, and we, we need to do what it takes to be strong enough to impose, and as it says in the document, transcend the conflict. So, yes. Okay. Um, right. But again, the, uh, this document is really divided into different perspectives with different authors. Hold, hold, that, hold that thought. Sure. Hold that thought. My guest is uh, Grant Smith, Director of Research for the Institute for Research Middle Eastern Policy. To get back, I'm going to tell you what I think is the flow in your argument and I, what I think is the flow in their argument. I think both sides uh, are overlooking something fundamental. 877-528-8255. 877-528-TALK. This is Jim Greenfield. 
And uh, my guest is Grant uh, Smith, Director of Research at the Institute for Research Middle Eastern Policy that's put out a book called Neocon Middle East Policy, The Clean Break Damage Assessment, which analyzes a 1996 document um, put out by Richard Pearl and other prominent neoconservatives, which pretty much takes the uh, Israeli, uh, is, is basically uh, um, uh, a, a policy paper for the Israeli government um, and uh, takes the position that uh, Israel should not be doing land for peace, but should be um, achieving peace through strength. And, and uh, Grant, here's my, let me just sum, sum this up quickly, and I'll give you plenty sure. of time to respond to it. Uh, my problem with the uh, with the the uh, clean break plan, the neoconservative position is that they they don't take account of the need of the Palestinian people, and they don't they don't seem to they don't even address the issue of the idea of a Palestinian state, which obviously is is what the Palestinians need. So that's my problem with them. Um, they only seem to be concerned with Israel and with nothing else. Now my problem with you guys is that I. I think that you're also ignoring a fundamental issue, as, as I read your book, uh, which is that um, although you you address the needs of the Palestinians to have their own state, um, I think what you guys ignore is the, is the problem of the terrorists and and the, the extremists and uh, you know Hamas and Hezbollah and the you know the Iranian government. Do you think they're going to settle for a two-state solution where there's a Palestinian state and an Israeli state? It seems to me that they want a single state which is a Palestinian state, which raises the troubling question, well, what do you do with the six million Jews? Mm -hmm. Well, I, let me take both questions. And I, and I, don't think I don't think your book addresses that at all. Right. We don't really address uh, as much the Palestinian people as we do the corruption of the American policymaking process. And the essential viewpoint of Douglas Fife, as he stated in some papers, uh, policy papers, is that, quote, uh, there are no Palestinians, and that basically uh, Palestinians uh, are Jordanians and, and should retire to Jordan. Uh, we have a, I have an acquaintance who's an Egyptian journalist who asked him outright after he took his position in the Pentagon, do you still believe that Jordan is Palestine? And he wouldn't comment, but uh, it's in the record. Um, but we don't really think it's as much about uh, the Palestinians as we do the corruption of government. And if we take one of the uh, revealing proposals in the Clean Break Plan, uh, which is Pearl's suggestion that the Israelis insinuate themselves into the U.S. Congress congressional process as brokers of uh, missile defense contracts in order to secure more support for moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and other policy objectives, you read that and you say, my goodness, is this a way policy should be formulated in the United States? Um, so the the real treatise of the documents is that we've got an incredibly corrupting influence that has steered American policymaking away from uh, some objectives that the American people would agree to uh, and is introducing all sorts of extremely damaging uh, and corrupted process. The second piece... Well, in other words, the tail, the tail wagging the dog. ...terrorism is interesting. Uh, we tend to think uh, globally... And, and you can certainly uh, quote uh, Schelling, who's a Nobel laureate who uh, talked about this in the Wall Street Journal this week. Uh, if you think about the, the problem of terrorism in terms of its global effect and how many people are actually dying uh, from terrorism uh, per year, uh, the number of people who die in their bathtub 
is far greater uh, than the terrorism problem. Uh, if we talk about uh, the number of automobile accidents in the U.S., uh, the entire 9-11 event is about three and a half weeks uh, of automobile accidents. Let me interrupt you there. I think let me, that let me by you there if I aggrandizing could, uh, terrorism me, is such an issue, we, we let me, do the terrorists a let favor. Me, let me interrupt you there. Sure. Okay. Um, you know, that, that reminds me of the story of the guy who jumps off of a 20-story building, and when he's passing down the 10th, uh, floor, somebody yells out the win window, how are you doing? He says, no problem so far. Uh, you know, uh, the, the number of people killed by terrorism uh, in, in, on an annual basis may be, I don't know, a few thousand or so around the world. Sure. That's, uh, that's although, right. if you, although if you include Iraq, uh, that number is a lot higher. But, well, I but, wouldn't but wait, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not done with the question. I'm not done with the question. But the point is, that's how many have been killed so far. But if these people either have or soon acquire nuclear weapons, that number is going to go up very fast. And uh, well, I think, I mean, I think that's a major concern. A, a what if that, uh, well, I'll let you address that. We'll come back. You've got a quick break. For, uh, Todd, you got you got you got to put the uh, the on hold when we're going to the break. Uh, 877-528-8255. Toll free 877-528-TALK. We'll be back here, Jim Greenfield, after the news. My mission to boldly go where no talk host has gone before. This is Jim Greenfield. The phone number to participate in the Jim Greenfield Show is 877-528-8255. Toll free here at Talk Star Radio, that's 877-528-TALK. Emails, go to my website, www.jimgreenfieldshow.com. We've got uh, Grant Smith, Director of Research for the Institute for Research, Mideastern uh, Policy, Grant, in the last segment, you sought to, I think, uh, minimize the significance of terrorism as a worldwide phenomenon by saying that the number of people who died in their bathtubs uh, is greater than the number of people who have died from terrorist attacks. Uh, although uh, 30,000 people have died in Iraq, um, I think that most of those are from terrorist attacks. So, well, let's, uh, let's take a look at, uh, I, mean, I wanted to focus on the clean break in the book, but if there is a common factor in both of the conflicts. Uh, Robert Pape, the author of Dying to Win, about suicide terrorism, and certainly Iraq is an epicenter of suicide terrorism, studied 380 terrorist events and found uh, that around the world, universally, suicide terror attacks are generated by a small group that is attempting to dislodge an occupying force from territory they consider to be their homeland. So you can talk about Iraq uh, and terrorism in terms of occupation. You can also talk about nuclear proliferation uh, and strategies for handling that. Uh, but you really can't say um, that terrorism uh, globally is uh, a threat, and we do stand by the idea that more people will die in the bathtub this year than will ever experience any problem with terrorism. Terrorism is a wonderful I, 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 I don't, I politician and a whole array of hucksters who would like to steer public policy dollars away from some real threats, pandemics, and issues like occupation. No, I, I, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't it disagree with you. It isn't worth as much attention as it's getting in the media. I, I, couldn't, sure. I couldn't disagree with you more. I think that terrorism is the, the paramount issue uh, throughout the world. It's a major threat to the United States. It's certainly a major threat to Israel. Um, it is the greatest threat to the United States, and uh, you know it, it, it is well documented 
that Osama bin Laden has been working for many years to acquire nuclear weapons, and when he does, what do you think he's going to do with them? Now he may, uh, he very well I'm may more, have them I, already. I, I, and for you to for you to say that this is not a real threat and uh, and that it's just being uh, it's it's just being uh, you know blown out of proportion by politicians, I, I I think it's just it's just Pollyannish. These groups can barely garner the resources to get a truck bomb into a hotel in Jordan. Well, they didn't we have any problem getting some uh, real airplanes. Uh, if you want to worry about something, worry some about the West Arctic ice shield. That if it slips into the ocean, is going to raise the uh, sea level 20 feet. That's a real global phenomenon. But the idea that uh, in Main Street America, people have to be cowering under their covers because the terrorists are coming to get them is uh, is ridiculous. Well, it, it may be. Uh, I, I, I think you've got your head in the sand. I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I've been studying this issue for months, and it is well documented. Uh, and it is, you know, many uh, high-level U.S. government officials, uh, Soviet, high-level Soviet officials have said that uh, that Soviet nuclear weapons disappeared somewhere into the black market, and they believe that they were purchased by Al Qaeda. Well, like I said, and, you, and you're saying there's not a you're, you're, you're saying there's not a threat issue, there. But, uh, you don't not, consider that a threat. I consider nuclear proliferation to be a threat. What I don't nuclear proliferation to be is a terrorist group. A threat is ignoring. I, I think it's. I think it's. Uh, disingenuous to do what many do and is ignore the fact that in Iraq, as, as much as in Israel-Palestine, most of the suicide terrorism is being generated by causes that are imminently resolvable. I, I just think that the, the whole idea that we focus on the outcome and, and the violence as opposed to looking at the solutions is ridiculous. Now, let me ask you something. When the, when the president of Iran a country which is uh, which is in the process of developing a nuclear program to build nuclear weapons uh, says that Israel needs to be blown off the face of the map. What, what is, how do you interpret that? What does that mean to you? Well, I mean, I think that Israel and, and Iran have had a tit-for-tat uh, argument going on since 1948. I think when Golda Meir said that there are no Palestinians, it was in the same vein of rhetoric and stirring the pot. Whether we should all stand at attention as uh, observers of that and say that this is a major global crisis, I would tend to disagree with. So, in other words, you don't take you don't take uh, uh, what's his name? I mean, I'm not sure I can pronounce it. I mean, uh, yeah, I can't either. It's the president of Iran when he says name to something monosyllable that we can repeat. When a when a wealthy an an oil rich country which is developing a nuclear weapons program says that a neighboring country needs to be blown off the face of the map, your response is. Uh, well, we don't take it seriously. We don't believe him. Well, well I, I didn't. I didn't believe Golda Meir when she said there was no such thing as a Palestinian, and I don't well, believe did that she the say Iranians the Palestinian really going to blow the the uh, Israelis off the map. No. I see. Well, you know, fact, do, a lot of do you know there were a lot of people believe that if Iran does acquire nuclear weapons, it'll create a standoff, mutually assured destruction. Uh, a system in the Middle East that would actually lead to more stability, although I don't subscribe uh, okay. to that. Grant, do you know that there were a lot of people who didn't believe Hitler's Mein Kampf in the 1930s? They didn't take it seriously. The whole the English government. I, I would agree. I would say people are not taking the clean break plan seriously. No, hold, no, we're not talking about that right now. We're, we're, ta talking we're talking about, about, about your. Wait a minute. Today. No, what I'm saying is, you you hear a major, you hear a, a world leader, leader of a na of a nation. That, ha that is developing nuclear weapons, threatened to use those nuclear weapons against Israel, and you say, well, I'm, I'm choosing not to believe that. You probably didn't, you know, maybe when you heard Osama bin Laden saying he was going to attack the United States back in the 1990s, maybe you didn't believe that either. 
you are choosing not to believe something. You are choosing to ignore the issue of terrorism. And I see that I see you guys in your book doing exactly the same thing. You talk about you advocate you advocate I'm going to let you respond. I will give you plenty of time to respond. In your book, you advocate the two-state solution, that Israel should have a state and the Palestinians should have a state. And I think that's fine. I think that makes eminent sense, and I agree with it. The problem that you do not address is that there are, that there are large numbers of Palestinians supported by, by Arabs throughout the Middle East, including the Iranian government, uh, who will not accept a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution, and the one state is to be Palestine, which means that they intend to kill all the Jews. And uh, you don't address that. But what about Hezbollah and Hamas? You think they're going to settle for a two-state solution that allows Israel to survive? I think uh, when, again, when Golda Meir stated that there's no such thing as a Palestinian, it was rhetoric along the same line as what's coming out of Iran. She said in the Washington Post, June 16, 1969, there are no such thing as Palestinians. Um, and again, uh, she says they did not exist. Well, we know they exist, and we know that that was just rhetoric. We also know that in the case of Iran, they're used to throwing verbal bombs over the transom uh, periodically. And we also know that the Beirut Declaration, which is an Arab League initiative, is not about pushing the country into the sea. It's about finally negotiating a land for peace settlement and accepting full diplomatic relations. Uh, that's the thing that's being ignored among all the hype and, and armed waving about terrorism. Terrorism is simply a response to occupation. It's been documented. There's no argument anymore. Yeah, Mr. Smith, would you please answer my question? What, what's your question? I mean, you, you cut off the microphone. Do I get a microphone cut off button? I, I, I mean, didn't cut, cut, I didn't off, cut off, I off the microphone. Your question. I didn't cut off the microphone. I asked you a question. I gave you time to answer it. You chose. You started talking about Golda Meir, once something she said 30 years ago. Well, so I, I, I'm going to ask you, when we come back from the break, I'll ask you a question, question again. I'll give you a chance to answer it again. This is Jim Greenfield, 877-528-8255. Toll free here at Talk Star Radio. 877-528-TALK. My guest, Grant Smith, Research, Institute for Research, Middle Eastern Policy. And we're talking about a book which your organization put out called Neocon Middle East Policy, The Clean, clean Blake. No, that's Clean Break, Plan Damage Assessment. And I want to quote to you from page 33 of, of your book. It says, the solution has to be, this is the Middle Eastern uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Solution has to be based on the principles of the Madrid Conference, namely land for peace, a comprehensive solution to the entire Arab-Israeli conflict, and a fair and just solution for the Palestinian refugee problem. Now, I totally agree with that. I think you've got to have, you've got to have two states, Israel, you've got to have a Palestinian state. The problem that I'm asking you about, and you've refused to answer so far, is what about the terrorist groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, supported by certain uh, unfriendly governments in the region, that don't sure. want a two-state solution? They want a one-state solution, which is no Israel. Israel's gone. Uh, God knows what happens to the people who live there. There's only going to be one state called Palestine. They're not going to settle for anything less, and they're willing to kill to achieve their goals. Why won't you address the problem of the terrorists? Well, each side has its, its extremists, okay? So whether we're talking about... Hamas and Hezbollah, or talking about uh, Kahain on the Israeli side. You've got people who would reject anything that wasn't Eretz Israel, Greater Israel, extending to the Euphrates, and you've got people who deny the existence of Israel. So uh, we can say uh, with a great deal of confidence it's more productive to look at 
some of the leadership organizations, again, like the Arab League, and what they're proposing, because they certainly have a lot more wealth, viability, and followers than these fringe groups do. And again, the Beirut Declaration is a peace plan that calls for land for what? peace, withdrawals, and full acceptance of a sovereign uh, Israeli what? state and a sovereign Palestinian state. Well, now, look, again, I, 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 you know, I told you I'm not an expert on this, but my impression just from news events recently is that the Palestinian Authority cannot control these groups. They're too powerful. They've got too many followers, and they're well-armed. Well, one of the big problems that these groups have is that they're continuing to see uh, their dreams slip away. One of the biggest scandals that was unearthed this year was the fact that billions of dollars are flowing from tax-exempt charities in the U.S. through Israel and into the occupied territories to build more settlements. They see all of these settlements springing up, and, uh, yeah, there's no way to roll these people back or contain them because they see their dreams slipping away. But the fundamental driver of the terrorism is the occupation and they're seeking some way to fight back uh, okay, against it. Okay, let's break this down because look, I, I look, I think that that for Israel, it's appalling that Israel allowed these settlements to be built. Uh, that was imperialistic. It was just sticking an eye in the pal, sticking you a thumb in the eye of the Palestinians. They're still building the settlements. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. You're, you're you're completely right about that. But if if Israel were to withdraw all the settlements, withdraw from West Bank, withdraw from the Gaza Strip, which they've already withdrawn from. Totally withdraw and say, okay, Palestinians, you can have your own state, your own nation. Um, that's it. Uh, the question is, would Israel then be allowed to live in peace? Or would, only, would the dominant not only, forces... Not only these, that. Let me finish the question. I'm almost done, and then you can answer. Or would the dominant forces there, which, which support these terrorist groups, not allow li Israel to live in peace and keep up the attacks? No. You would see the minute that the Beirut Declaration terms are accepted, you would see all of the Arab governments intelligence agency and armed forces on the neck of the extremist groups that kept fighting. Uh, that is the deal in the Beirut Declaration. It's a land for peace deal. It's trying to alleviate some of the stress caused by the occupation and, and take that uh, fuel out of the fire. But the minute that you had a settlement that approached those terms, uh, then the problem for the uh, Hamas and Hezbollah would be uh, how long are they going to last when not only is their support gone, but they're actually being pursued by the Arab governments? Well, I, I don't know, though. I mean, I see a lot of uh, rhetoric, and you may dismiss it as mere rhetoric, but I see a lot of rhetoric coming from uh, Islamic extremist groups, which is a, not, large, not the leaders which is the a large chunk. Well, except for the leader of, uh, of Iran, who, who said it explicitly. Let's um, say, we want to, you know, we want to kill all the Jews, you know. Uh, what kind of a solution is that? Yeah, I think, you know, we put him and Golda together in the same of firebrands who are not productive in the process. Well, but, Golda uh, Meir, yeah. how, how long ago did Golda Meir die? <laughs> does it, I mean, does it matter? She was the prime minister, for goodness yeah, but No, sake. but why she are you was, talking about things that are 30 years in the past? First of all, you know, she never said she would kill all the Palestinians. And, no, uh, she simply denied that they existed, which is worse, being denied well, their I, I don't know. I, I, don't know but I, don't know, I don't know why you want to keep going back to that. Uh, well, because the, the, the question of rhetoric is important. You've got to put it in perspective. I mean, well, whether it happened yesterday or, or, or happened no, today. I, I, I take it know, very what, seriously. What is it? I take rhetoric. rhetoric. I take rhetoric very seriously because I see that most of the time uh, people do, they, they do pursue policies that are in accord with their rhetoric. And, um, you know, I've seen it with Al-Qaeda, and a lot of, you know, a large chunk, I can't tell you exact numbers, but a large large portion of uh, of the world's 
um, Muslim community, which is 1.3 billion people, a lot of them believe that all infidels should be killed. I mean, it's in the Koran, and they believe it. Well, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to say. I'm not an expert, uh, and nor will I enter into a conversation. Again, I wanted to keep on the clean break because uh, this document and, and what it's doing in terms of U.S. Uh, damage to our policies I believe it's it's extremely important to focus on getting into some sort of uh, argument where we take the Talmud and the Bible and the Quran and, and look for satanic verses. I don't know that that advances anyone's argument very far. Well, uh, I, I just think that you all need religions to... have components structurally of exclusion and of the infidel, uh, and we know that. I mean, let's move on. Well, yeah, but, but I, I wouldn't be so dismissive of it when it when it has been the inspiration for a uh, a well-funded, uh, popular, uh, worldwide terrorist movement that that wants to destroy the United States as well as Israel. Um, in any event, let me let me quote to you. There's one thing in this uh, clean break, not just not just to pick arguments with you here, but sure. uh, there's one thing in the clean break that that I totally agree with, and I, my guess is that you probably wouldn't have any quarrel with it either. This is from the the uh, clean. Uh, break document. Um, it says Israel can make a clean break from the past and establish a new vision for the U.S.-Israeli partnership based on self-reliance, maturity, and mutuality, not one focused narrowly on territorial disputes. Uh, Israel's new, stra new strategy. Um, well, well, we'll come back to this. Basically, he's saying that Israel should be self-reliant, not be reliant on the U.S. for, for financial aid. Um, I'll ask you when we come back if you agree with that. 877-528-8255. This is Jim Greenfield, my guest, Grant Smith, Director of Research for the Institute for Research Mid-Eastern Policy, uh, which has put out a book, The Neocon Mid Middle East Policy, The Clean Break Plan Damage Assessment. I'm just going to read you a quick quote from here. And this, this to me sounds eminently sensible. That um, from the clean break, which you guys uh, generally disagree with it, but I want to see if you, what you think about this one paragraph. Israel can make a clean break from the past and establish a new vision for the U.S.-Israeli partnership based on self-reliance, maturity, and mutuality. Israel's new strategy, based on a shared philosophy of peace through strength, reflects continuity with Western values by stressing that Israel is self-reliant, does not need U.S. troops in any capacity to defend it, including on the Golan Heights, and can manage its own affairs. Such self-reliance will grant Israel greater freedom of action and remove a significant lever of pressure used against it in the past. I mean, what do you think about the idea that the U.S. should stop giving Israel aid? Well, that's not what it really says. If you, if you focus on those last sentences, the idea is to unfetter the country so that, you know, in terms of doing things like occupying Golan, uh, they don't have to worry about what the U.S. says, so it's kind of a mixed bag. But what the the document you know says about economic self-reliance, well, sure, every country in the region should be economically self-reliant, and instead of devoting as many resources as they do to conflict and and so-called defense spending, they should they should unfetter their economies. But if you look at uh, Israel's economy, uh, you know the debt to GDP ratio is a mess. The country's uh, uh, went under some investigations by Talia Sassan this year showing that a lot of the agencies are breaking the law and misusing funds for settlements that should have been going to projects within the country. I mean, the, the recommendation, if it were only that of sound economic management, would be a good one, but 
But when you read on the document and, and suddenly you're seeing we want to do this so we can occupy and continue to occupy, occupy Golan, you know, then, <laughs> then I have to say, no, I, I don't agree with it totally. But you, but you, say, you cited um, uh, s- s- opinion polls that show that the majority of Israelis favor land for peace. Right, and and the majority of Israelis, if only they had more voice, would be doing uh, a much better job at at, at uh, getting the peace process moving along. But this is all about the entire clean break plan, and our analysis is about fringe groups well, but, seizing but, the levers of power and, and making sure that a lot of sensible things don't happen. Well, uh, they did give. They have now moved out of the West Bank, and I um, know. Uh, They've moved out of Gaza, which... Uh, yeah, that, I'm sorry, that's what I meant. They moved out of Gaza. Well, one of the, the Palestinian legislators, they said, well, how much will you give us if you get out of Gaza? Because it's uh, it's a mess. Uh, okay, now, uh, don't you think that they would like to move out of the West Bank also if they, if they believe that they can do so without their security being threatened? There's a wall going up encompassing a vast region, a settlement called Ma'ale Adumin, which is uh, going to essentially divide the West Bank into north and south Bantustans with controlled flow between the two. Uh, if that uh, project continues to, to move at the pace it's moving, uh, it'll effectively divide and sever any communications flows that would be necessary for establishing a viable state. So, so how much, how much point, of the West Bank... I have to say no. There's how much of the West no Bank indication. How much of the West Bank is behind that wall and that Israel is effectively putting behind a wall and uniting yeah, it's, it's not the percentage of the land mass. It's the fact that the aquifers, the key lines of communication, and some of the most arable land is behind the fence. I see. So um, it's, not a large por- it's not a large portion of the land. It's, just it's a it's fairly significant portion. I recommend people go to irmep.org, and there's a page uh, with a map on it on the first okay. page which talks about Israel's proposed annexation. Okay, uh, irmep.org. That is your website. Thank you so much, Grant Smith. You've been a great guest. I enjoyed arguing with you. And uh, this is the Jim Greenfield Show. After the news, I, Jim Greenfield, shall return here on Talkstar Radio.